Welcome to Puzzling It Out, Thoughts and Perspectives from a Clinical Psychologist. Hello, I'm Dr. Gail Lewis, your podcast host, and a clinical psychologist practicing on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. For today's episode, I'm going to continue in my series of discussions about multiple sclerosis. This will be the third in the series, and today's topic is going to be trauma and multiple sclerosis. And I'm going to begin by defining what the psychological understanding is of trauma. And trauma is considered to be an emotional response to a terrible event like an accident, rape, natural disaster, in this case the diagnosis of a chronic illness. And immediately after the event, shock and denial are typical. Longer-term reactions can include unpredictable emotions, flashbacks, strained relationships, and even physical symptoms like headaches or nausea and other physical symptoms that we, we will be able to address further on in this episode. The reason why I wanted to address trauma in the scope of multiple sclerosis is that in my practice and in my belief, the way that I work with people who have multiple sclerosis is to address it under the rubric of trauma. I do believe that anyone, whether it's multiple sclerosis or any other kind of chronic disease that has ongoing concerns of continuing to progress or if remission happens during the course of the disease, if there is the suggestion or possibility that the illness will reemerge, there are feelings of, at the very least, worry and concern that continue to plague a person who is dealing with such a situation, such a chronic disease. And very often, as has been my experience, there are people with multiple sclerosis or even cancer, for example, that's just another chronic disease that even if someone is told they have attained a state of remission, there is always the fear that the cancer will come back, that people become preoccupied with this worry and that they become consumed with the anticipation and it feels to them like a understandable and expected anticipation that their disease will come back and in this case that their multiple sclerosis will not just come back but that if symptoms should arise or if there is shown to be progression indicated by new lesions or new activity demonstrated in an MRI that the disease will not only return but that it will return in a much more progressed and worsened state. And for people to 
be plagued with and preoccupied with such thoughts in a regular basis can have some significant implications on not just their daily functioning, but given that there are considerable studies indicating a very strong mind-body connection, to have your mind always occupied with the idea that you are never free of having your disease or worrying about your disease, this kind of stress, this kind of emotional stress that one might be sitting in for a long duration can have physical repercussions as well. So I do bring up the idea of trauma because if you've ever been the person who has been initially diagnosed with MS or been around somebody who's been diagnosed with MS, the reaction that people have is usually one of shock and utter disbelief that this diagnosis is being given to them. Um, and I say given to them because it feels like it's coming from something outside and not something that is identifiable from within. And to just jump ahead for a moment, my experience is that the the occurrence of going through periods of remission in MS in that the disease course might appear to halt, that symptom picture and symptom evidence might seem to either remit entirely or get to a point of being tolerable in that you learn how to manage the symptoms that you are having to live with, that you learn how to work with them, that you find a way to not allow them to interfere with doing things that you need to do, that you find a way, and in my terminology as a psychoanalyst, you find a way to dissociate from them. And what I mean by that is it's called dissociation in the service of the ego. And that basically is a defense that allows you to push aside your awareness and any kind of emotional attachment to your awareness of that particular issue in the service of being able to move forward in your life. It's a very adaptable defense, as are many of them. This one in particular, when you're dealing with interfering problems that come up as a result of having MS, this particular defense can be incredibly useful. 
but given that MS is considered to be and is a very unpredictable disease If you yourself are listening and have MS, then you will know what I'm about to talk about. And I can speak from somebody from the perspective who has MS and somebody who works with people who have MS. When you have a new symptom that comes up or you learn, in fact, from an MRI report that there is new activity, new lesions in your brain or in your spinal cord, which really is the only way to know if your disease has any kind of movement in the forward direction. That in and of itself can feel once again traumatic and very shocking. So the trauma that I consider to be associated with MS, I consider to be a complex traumatic situation because it's not just about dealing with the initial trauma of being diagnosed. It's also about the subsequent traumas, if this is the case for you, that come with every single time you are told by your doctor that yes I'm reading your MRI report I'm looking at your MRI films and here we have signs of disease progression which for some people might not even show in a new symptom picture or worsening of symptoms that have already been in place but it could mean that you can expect something to change. All of those can feel incredibly frightening and can make a person feel pretty terrified and pretty overwhelmed. And some of the symptoms of trauma that people experience that I think are relevant to this issue that I'm addressing is re-experiencing the trauma. And for some people this can happen when, like I just mentioned, when you learn that in a new MRI and a new visit to your doctor that in fact your MS has progressed. So the reaction that you might have in that moment could be to the immediate information that you're getting and it can also be a reliving of the initial diagnosis and the initial experience that you had when you learned that you had MS. And I will just take one step out of this for a moment to address another issue that might bring up the re-experiencing of the initial memory is when, for example, if you are somebody who takes medication on a regular basis, such as an everyday oral medication or a couple times a week injection or an everyday injection, uh, even for people who have monthly infusions 
or infusions such as the new Ocrevus drug, which is every six months. When you take your medication, it is a reminder that you have MS. Uh, I was somebody who was taking Copaxone for many years. And when I started taking Copaxone, it was an every other day injection. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with what that means, I had to do an injection, which was a subcutaneous injection. I had to rotate over all of my body. I had certain spots that were more recommended than others, but I had to rotate my injection site. There were injection site reactions and I would have to give myself a shot quite frequently. And my experience was that every single time I had to take out my, my needle from the refrigerator and get myself ready to give myself an injection to actually feel the piercing of the needle and to feel the medication going into my body, which I actually did feel, it reminded me that I had multiple sclerosis every single time. Now, that might not be the case for every single person. That was the case for me. And there was never a time that I didn't hate it. I hated it every single time. Um, I hated the experience of it and I hated the reminder that I have this awful disease. Um, I hated that <laughs> I had to switch places where I was injecting because one of the results of injecting Copaxone is not just that you can get redness at the site of the injection, but if you happen to inject in the same exact place, which you do try to avoid, then you end up having a permanent dent in your skin. Uh, and I did find that that had been the case, so I had to stop injecting in those particular places. And now I do have some permanent dents in my skin. Uh, so I know that I'm not the only person who has that experience when they take their medication. They relive the memory of knowing that they have MS. Not just the memory, but the acknowledgement of. Um, there's also the issue in trauma of having flashbacks and a flashback occurs when the trauma memory gets cued and makes it feel as if the trauma is happening all over again. And this can happen quite easily with any kind of trauma and particularly when you're dealing with somebody who has MS, for example, 
I've worked with many people who at the time when they are scheduled to go for an MRI become incredibly panicked, who have never had claustrophobic reactions before, develop a fear of small spaces. And if you've ever been in an MRI, even an open MRI, which has a little more space, when you're dealing with getting an MRI of your brain, which is usually the case when you're having an MRI for multiple sclerosis. It's either your brain or your spinal cord, sometimes both. When you're in that MRI, they do what they can, the technicians do what they can to make sure that you don't move, which means that they pretty much lock your head into position with a, I guess it's a plastic case, sometimes adhesed with tape, and you are then rolled into this very small tunnel. I'm grateful I'm not a claustrophobic person, but many people are, and they require taking some kind of sedative in order to feel more relaxed being in that situation, but the anticipation of being in the machine and going into the machine can often cause flashbacks, and flashbacks to bad news that they have received on prior experiences after meeting with a doctor following an MRI, and anticipatory anxiety about what might happen as a result of this MRI. With trauma, there's also fear and anxiety, which is probably the most common emotional reaction. And it makes perfect sense that one would be afraid after something scary happened. The something scary meaning the diagnosis of MS. And it's ironic that in MS, our nervous system is not operating in the way that we wish it would, but having anxiety is in fact a sign that our nervous system is operating very well and as it should. But the fear following a trauma can be as bad or worse than the emotions we felt at the time of the trauma and usually lasts longer. Then there's the issue of anger and sadness and guilt. Um, and I'll, I'll settle on guilt for just a moment. When you're dealing with MS, and, and I will get to this in my next episode in which I'm going to be talking about some of the emotional issues that come up as a result of being diagnosed with MS, having MS, and the emotional repercussions, not just to the person who has MS, but to the people surrounding the person who has MS. And those emotional repercussions are vast and can often be quite severe, and in my experience, 
especially for the people surrounding the person who has MS, are largely ignored. And if I could be a one-person team to try to address that, I would like to be, because I think the people surrounding someone who has MS could also go through these trauma reactions that I'm describing right now. Um, in trauma, one can also feel numb, and numbness can occur in trauma as a result of our systems being completely overwhelmed by whatever stimuli that we are trying to manage, whether it's fear, whether it's shock, whether it's an overwhelming sense of feeling helpless. And you can certainly add to the list of that. We once again have very good defenses. And when we feel numb, it's because our defenses are kicking in and basically communicating to us that whatever it is that we are experiencing, um, mostly emotional, but also it can be physical, it's just too much for us. And we shut down. And we shut down, we feel numb. Some people report it as checking out. And that often can happen uh, when someone is in an MRI that they completely check out. And I you know I can say from my personal experience, I fall asleep when I'm in the MRI, which I laugh at because if anyone's ever been in an MRI, you realize how incredibly loud this thing is. It makes all of these crazy, loud, banging, humming, eerie kinds of noises. And logically, the thought of somebody falling asleep in that, especially if an MRI is lasting for an hour, sometimes mine do, sometimes longer, that one can fall asleep in a situation like that seems rather nuts. But that is my way of checking out in that kind of situation. And I'm grateful for that. <laughs> I'm grateful that I can endure such a situation that, yes, feels incredibly anxiety-ridden for me and makes me feel very scared and very worried. And so the way that my mind helps me manage that is I fall asleep. So I see that, as I mentioned earlier, in the service of the ego, which I mean in the service of functioning. Then another symptom of trauma is avoiding things related to the event, which for multiple sclerosis, this could mean um, avoiding things that either make to the person with MS or to the people around the person with MS that make it so that their MS is not so obvious. And this could be 
deciding not to engage in activities, deciding to withdraw, making excuses as to why you can't do something, whether or not that's true, and a lot of times it is true that a person with MS can't participate in a certain activity, but sometimes it's a matter of trying to avoid whatever feelings might come up for the person who has MS having to face that they can't do something that they want to be able to do, that it's a struggle to do the thing they want to do, and or to know that people are bearing witness to that. And somebody who is filled with a great deal of pride, who has to face that they can't do something that they could do before, that in and of itself can feel incredibly depleting and incredibly humiliating to have to recognize that they can't do this thing that they used to be able to do so well. And in the presence of other people, we tend to project our own self-doubt, our own self-hate into what we think they might be thinking and seeing in our incapacities, even if they're not thinking that or feeling that. But the thought that someone might be judging us or someone might be doubting us or someone as a result of seeing that we're not so good at something might going forward might not ask us to do these things with them anymore, that can feel very painful and very shameful and have a person thus going forward avoid doing those things or even trying to do those things even if through modification through management of fatigue through asking for help even the person with MS might actually be able to do this thing uh, but making those adjustments and taking charge of, of recognizing that in fact it's okay to do things differently and it's okay to try things even if they're a challenge and even if they're not with the ease that they used to be that that could be okay too. A profound experience that people with MS have in the realm of trauma is that you might find that you have a difficult time trusting people and this can certainly come from repeated interactions with people close to you, interactions with people that you might engage with in a semi-regular basis or an infrequent basis. But it can also, and maybe sometimes primarily, come from your experience of yourself. If you think about it, before you have a diagnosis of MS, and for many people, once they're diagnosed, they learn that in fact they should have been diagnosed years and years ago. 
and that they've had symptoms that speak to an MS diagnosis, but because of medical inefficacy and lack of physician training to be able to identify symptoms of and ways to address the possibility that MS might be a diagnosis that is relevant. Many people live with having MS prior to being diagnosed. In any case, we come to trust our bodies. We come to trust that we can do things. We come to trust ourselves. Not everybody, of course, but let me just make a more positive generalization here is that we trust that if we decide that we are going to walk 10 blocks and we've had a history of being able to walk 10 blocks without any kind of problem, that we can do that. But once we have a diagnosis of MS, and for example, if it comes with a symptom picture in which one's mobility is in some way impaired, then one's ability to trust oneself to be able to more fluidly walk those 10 blocks can likely be hindered. And the MS person might call into question whether or not they can rely on themselves to be able to walk those 10 blocks as seamlessly as they once were able to. And they might try and find that in fact they can't. And one's pride can be very injured in a situation like that. And if that doesn't get addressed quickly, one's injured pride can develop into a more firm sense of self-identification that I can't do this anymore and I can't trust my body to take me to walk those 10 blocks anymore. There's also the issue of having a difficult time trusting other people. I've certainly had the experience and I'm very grateful, not personally, I've had the experience working with people who, for example, because of having fatigue, which I did discuss in my last podcast, because they have fatigue, they might have made a plan to do something with friends. Unfortunately, though, on the day of the event, their fatigue has gotten so strong that they realize they just can't participate in the activity. And they'll tell their friends that, I'm so sorry, but I can't go. And their friends might be understanding. And this might happen another time where, once again, the plan has been made. The friends are understanding that the person can't go. And going forward, the person with MS is not invited anymore. Even though they've explained to their friends what MS is, what fatigue is, maybe even have given them literature to help them understand 
but their friends no longer want to ask them, no longer want to deal with the disappointment, and the person with MS then feels that they can't trust their friend to be there for them, no matter what. And while this might seem like it's not an obvious, quote, attack on the friendship, it might feel like it's an attack on the friendship, and it might feel like it's a disregard for the friendship and a disregard for the person who's suffering. And it can feel incredibly painful, and it can make someone feel very you know, caught off guard if the friend who is not offering plans with them anymore had been somebody for the longest time had been somebody who's been quite reliable. Then there's the issue of feeling that the world is very dangerous. And this can happen, for example, if somebody is having any kind of ambulatory difficulty, if they need to use a cane, if they're using a walker, if they're in a wheelchair. I cannot tell you the countless amount of times that I've heard people talk about how cruel they feel they're treated. For example, when they need to get on a bus in New York City and they are using a walker or a wheelchair, the looks that they get from people waiting to get on the bus who have to wait for the driver to close the doors so that ambulatory passengers can't get on until the person in the wheelchair or the walker is not just on the bus but in a seat that is steadied and is strapped in so that there is no danger once the bus moves. The anger that they have to wait, the anger that because a wheelchair or a walker is there, it's in the way of them being able to pass by, or that the space that the wheelchair or the walker takes up takes away space from an ambulatory person to be able to sit down or to have enough room for them to be able to move freely. The glares that people get as a result or even feeling that a bus driver won't let them on a bus because of that. There's also an issue of, in New York City, so many subway stations do not have elevators so that people who are in non-ambulatory situations can't even find their way to be able to get down to a subway track to get on a subway. And taking a walker or a cane or a wheelchair down the street can feel incredibly threatening. Uh, even as somebody, and I'm grateful that I'm a very ambulatory person, I find walking the sidewalks of Manhattan to be kind of like an Olympic challenge. Uh, I happen to be a very fast, aggressive New York City walker and I'm very alert to my surroundings and I'm very alert to the fact that most people do not pay attention to what they're doing, especially with the regular occurrence of people staring down at their 
their phones while they're walking down the street. It's dangerous. It's not a careful situation that people find themselves in, ambulatory or not, but we're dealing now with people who are fragile, who need to rely on devices to help them get down the street. The concern and the consideration that they deserve is not there, and therefore things feel incredibly dangerous. And this might not be the case in other settings, but I do live in New York City, so I can speak to that. There's also the issue in trauma, and I do find this with MS, of people blaming themselves for their disease. And I can speak to one person I used to work with years ago, and it was quite extraordinary. Um, this woman that I work with had been diagnosed with MS many years prior to my working with her. And she believed that because she masturbated as a child and believed that that was a wrong thing to do, that if her parents had found out she was doing that, that they would punish her, that she believed that having masturbated as a child was the reason that she was diagnosed with MS. Now that's, you know, that's very magical thinking. And regardless of how I try to process that with her and try to disabuse her of that particular association and connection that she was making, she was very convinced. Um, but, you know, in a lesser situation, I've definitely heard of people who feel like they did something wrong, that if they had been better people, if they had treated people in a more kindly way, if they had not done X, Y, or Z, which they had regretted years before, then maybe they wouldn't have gotten MS. And a lot of people with MS and a lot of people with traumas feel that they are inadequate, that they are weak, and that they are lesser than other people. And this can be very deleterious, obviously, to a person's sense of self, but also to the way they interact in the world. It's very problematic, of course, if someone sees themselves as weak and less than and that they show this side of themselves to the world. Often people like this will get taken advantage of. And it's very important in my work with patients such as this to try to help bolster their sense of self, to try to help them feel a sense of strength and a sense, a greater sense of adequacy about themselves in order to put themselves out there in a way that demonstrates that they feel like they matter. There are other symptoms of trauma that pertain to anybody who's been traumatized, but also to people who have MS, but I'm going to stop there because I see that this time of the podcast is, is lengthy and... I don't want to overload anybody. As I said, my next podcast is going to be on some of the emotional issues that 
people with MS and the people that surround them contend with in a regular way and some of the particulars that come up emotionally for people in those situations and also some suggestions that I might have in order to be able to address these issues. So once again, I thank you so much for being a great audience to this podcast. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, by all means, please go to my website. There's an area for comments on the page where my podcast is published. And there's also a place on my, on my website where you can request an appointment. My email address is also on my website, as is my phone number. By all means, if you have any questions, if you have any questions about this particular podcast or others, if you'd like to make an appointment to speak with me, or if you just have some thoughts you'd like to share with me, by all means, please use one of those ways to reach out to me. Lastly, if you have any topics that you feel that you'd like for me to talk about, whether it's about MS or about something else, I welcome your suggestions. I will do my best to get to them. I can't promise that I will, but I certainly would love to hear your thoughts. So again, thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to our next episode together. Take care. Thank you.